graduated again. Uh, I just shared one that happened a number of years ago in Hammond, Indiana, where a church, a large, very large church, was trying to have a high attendance day. They sent out a fleet of 68 buses over a 60-mile radius to bring in people for what they called Heaven Sunday. This included an organist without arms or legs, a karate expert, a former Hollywood stunt cowboy, an ex-football hero, a radio star, Santa Claus, and a ventriloquist. That was the church. I don't want in any way diminish the possible testimony of any of those people, but the idea is not, let's bring people in so they can see something they haven't seen. Maybe what we really need to see and maybe we haven't seen is the glory of God. Is that His presence would be so evident among us that we cannot help but be moved by it because we encounter Jesus. Listen to these words of A.W. Tozer. He said, Worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. He goes on in this book to say, It is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. One can only conclude that God's professed children are bored. Man, that's a statement that just rocks me. Do, do we come to church and think, yeah, I got to go see this again? Are we bored with the person with the glorious Son who died on the cross for us, with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and makes His Word come alive and gives us? fellowship and awareness of God's treasures. So if we look at our text today, there is a woman, a, a Samaritan woman, and as we touched on last time, the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other, and that began to happen. They were enemies in many ways. And this woman, she has encountered Jesus as he's just blown her away with the way that he's treated her. And he has just spoken a word that he should not have known, but being God, he knew that she had a kind of a vegetable background or life story. Jesus asked her a question about his husband. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said, well, you've had five husbands. Now the guy you're with is not your husband. And she responded in a sweet manner. Okay? How could she? She's shocked. How could he possibly know that? And then she goes into spiritual talk. And she tries to pull the attention away from the fact that she's been nailed with her moral condition. And she poses a question a penetrating question about worship in these verses 20 through 24. Over 400 times in the scripture, worship is mentioned. It is certainly a dominant truth that is found from cover to cover in the Bible. And in this particular passage, worship is mentioned eight times. In, in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. That was Mount Gerasim. And as Jesus and the Samaritan woman talked, you could see that mountain in the distance in the west. 
And as they talked, she showed her background to the crowd. So our fathers, our American fathers, they worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, that's where the temple stood. That's the place of worship. So Jesus responded to her. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. First, I want you to know that this is not a coincidence. And in this case, it was this woman. It was confusing to her because of her background, her her own sinful past. She had saw people who claimed to know God, who were religious, but man, she didn't want to be around because they didn't really go to heaven. You see, her background, her past church experience had made her wary of what it is to worship God. And and so she asked a question. She said, basically, where does a person go to worship? You you see, there is the place where we worship as Samaritans, and there is a place where he is the Jew worships in Jerusalem. Where is the right place to worship? Now, her thinking was in view of 12 relationships. She was a broken person. Many times she had been disappointed out of those bad relationships with people who loved her and I heard about a couple who drove them to a self-service station some of this is showing my age it's been a long time and I have wrinkles I need to change the self-service station but back in the day when you would go in to get gas for your vehicle the person would come out and they would clean your windshield and and just, you know, provide friendly service, fill up your gas tank. All you had to do was get in your vehicle. Well, the attendant cleaned the windshield, cleaned the windshield, and the husband looked at it and he said, it's still dirty. Why don't you go clean it again? So he cleaned it again. And well, it's still dirty. You still need to clean it. Well, finally she decides to go and he said, take it change it, throw it out. And she's like, I still do. He said, finally, this guy's wife takes off his glasses and she cleans his glasses and she puts them back on her husband and she looks and says, oh, it's clean now. The problem was not the windshield. It was his glasses. It was his vision. And in this case, this woman, because of her background, because of her history, she was not able to see correctly God. Her view, her perspective, it was wrong. And then there was the background. She was a Samaritan back in 722 B.C. The Assyrian army came into the area. And the wealthy people were taken off into exile. And the poorest of the poor remained. And then they brought in people from other lands. And, And so you had Jews who married with people who were not Jewish. And so 
not only were they half-breeds with, with colored with children uh, that were born, but it, they were half-breeds in their religion, religion because they were impacted by different religious beliefs, and so, not, so no longer did they have clear Jewish beliefs. And as a result of that, there was a surgery that had to be made due to the loss of their children. And there was this ongoing discontent and battle between the parents. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah, he went back to rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall uh, in Jerusalem that had been torn down. And the Samaritans uh, were opposed uh, to this. As a matter of fact, in uh, the book of Ezra, who was the priest at that time, he, there was a letter that had been sent out by the Samaritans to try to stop the Jews from rebuilding. And then in Nehemiah chapter 4, there was an army that was sent to try to stop them from rebuilding. And I want to read to you, this is from Nehemiah chapter 4 that talks about this blood refusal and this battle that happened among them. And the enemy said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubble, the stones that are burned? And so as a result, as the Jews began to rebuild Jerusalem and with their temple, the Samaritans built their own rival temple in a different place. And, and so there was confusion about where God dwelt where you could find his presence. So not only did her pastor affect her, her pastoral life, but her pastoral religious life impacted. It, it's, it's crucial, okay? I, I don't know that we're going to have the answer to you up here. Maybe it doesn't matter. But Pastor, we all have different backgrounds according to the churches that we grew up in. Second one here, worship cannot be confined to a limited religious community. She's about to learn something. Worship cannot be confined to a single place or a single activity. Uh, pick up in verse 21, woman, answered the guy, give me some of honey in hand, uh, and a little of it makes me have a drink. Use the measure of worship that you do do worship in Jerusalem. Your salvation tent, if you have a common tent, okay, and your true worship place, even your home. So Samaria is being threatened. Some of the Samaritan city is even questioning. You guys are saying it's here. We say it's here. Where is it? He says, he's looking for people who will worship in spirit and truth. Here's the place to say, you know, we're worried about the place, but matter of fact, uh, Peter Stevens, as, as he was speaking out of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, you know, God's sermon, 
of a, of a taste of what really is the answer for God's affairs is that we don't know him. That God wants to take a thief and make him no longer one who steals. That God wants to take an adulterer and make him no longer one who lies. That God gets a hold of a life. That's when real worship is a given. George Neal shared something profound. He said, there are not four Gospels, there are five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and of course, and most people will never read the first four. So Jesus changes a life. It is a sign of worship. When you follow him and you seek him, next worship must be channeled. In verse 23, he says, when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, it we can't do that. It says we're to worship him in spirit. There is no doing anything to bring him before spirit. He's not talking about in spirit and holy spirit. He's talking about bringing him. This should be your whole heart. This should be an, an essence of who you are when you worship. It's not just going through the motions. It's seeking the master. And there's a, there's a vast difference there. It, it is going after him with your heart and your soul and your being. Uh, Jesus has said in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And people of yours are by men that worship me in spirit and in truth. You've got to do more than just showing up week after week after week or, or day after day after day or what, whatever it is. It's got to be more than, than just a work of the heart. Uh, English Puritan Stephen Hartnett said, without the heart, it's not worship. It's a stage play. An actor acting a part without being that person. A hypocrite. We may truly be said to worship God even though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack son was not honoring his father or was serving his master and then then he is talking to the religious leaders and, and he says it is unclean what you do because you do not respect the altar of the lord when you bring sacrifices you don't care if they're spotless sacrifices but you bring a crippled or, or sick animal you don't understand to whom you are bringing these sacrifices if it's really from the heart, guys, it's not our just got to be with you guys. Let's let us worship the Lord. There is proper sacrifices on the altar. God understands that. Next, uh, worship must no longer be candid. It must be credible. He tells us that true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. Sincerity is required. And sincerity, if you can be sincerely wrong, to be tethered to the truth. And, and what does Jesus say? If you're hearing the truth, he also says that his word is truth. That's why it's so important to study the word. We can so quickly become confused and mis be misguided. It, it's not enough just to be hear a preacher in Sunday evening or on the radio, TV, whatever. We need to preach the word so God will show me the word. Show me what I need to learn. Teach me through your word. Holy Spirit, open what I'm reading so I will understand and be obedient to it. 
in verse 22, he says, Woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. The Samaritans only helped with the first five verses of the Old Testament, so they didn't have a complete understanding of what it meant that the Jews acknowledge. We have more even that we can read and draw understanding from. And when we fail in worship, we close the Bible and we're drawing false doctrine. Then when we get out of worship, when we become susceptible to the enemy, a bad teacher. You see, our job is not to get up here and preach and preach and preach. Our job is to get to the I may not get there, but I get there. But the point is, I don't know who we are. We have with God. Let me get to somewhere else. Okay, I got to go. We're at the last page here. Worship will be consecrated to God. He tells us also at the end of verse 4, true worship
had to offer his son as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. So this man was allowed to die because of the sins of the whole world. And he watched his sins blaze forth spend a week in the temple with the sacrificed and whose husband is going inside of the temple to the temple to prostitute and as she walks away this broken woman this says it was uh, this guy named Joel one of the books originally writers picks her to choose the woman leaves the temple alone not with her son her son's been killed not with her husband who's with a prostitute and she says, if he had wicked gods, who would have been different sinners? You see, you become like the gods you worship. That's why it is so critical. It is so important. We worship the one true God who sent his son into the world for sinners who rebelled against him, who were broken, who were without hope. And the one who was sinless died on the cross. He became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have to get that right because if we don't, we'll become a different kind of man or woman than God intends us to be. There's only one way to salvation. There is only one way to forgiveness, and it is through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these words. I thank you for worship. It comes when we return and repent. I thank you through Jesus we are able to do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray this morning, if there is someone here who has just become Christian all of a sudden, they have come into church, heard about God, but they want to come be baptized. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. Pray, Father, for anyone here for the first time has heard and really heard <laughs> the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It looks so, what a great time to just say, God, you know me, forgive me, have faith in my life, I'm going to have faith in you, forgive me for my unforgiveness. Again, I thank you for that, Lord, but if God has spoken to your heart, I want to encourage you to do that today. Pray that you would respond to him, that if you're, if his voice you need to hear today, you would say, God, I need you. For, for others of us, Lord, if we're honest, we can admit that we've strayed from you. We've got to get it right. Let's pray.